doing a record a podcast? Can you sing it to the tune? No. Please. I don't want to. Just for me. Do you want to record a podcast? <laughs> it makes me happy. <sighs> Josephine. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Moderately well. It's almost the holidays for you. Oh, God. Are you so excited? I don't know if excited is the word because I don't have any energy left. Okay, that's why you need to rest. Yeah, I need to rest. Mm. Hello, everybody. Welcome. This is my favourite musical. The podcast. Yeah, that's Ruth. That's Josephine. Mm-hmm. It's a podcast all about musical theatre. Yes, and some other stuff. <laughs> it's mostly us talking shit. Yes. And then every now and then we talk about musicals. That's right. We try and uh, interject with musical knowledge every now and then. <laughs> even if it's just it, about even us if it's talking incorrect. shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In the context of us talking shit. This is episode 24. I know. Yeah. So many. Like the TV show 24. Did you ever did watch you? No. no. I did not watch it either. I've heard it's good though. Yeah. And I love Kiefer Sutherland. Sutherland. I don't know that I have an opinion about Kiefer, Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland. Sutherland. That's a hard name. That's a good tongue twister. Yeah, because of the F and then yeah. the TH. That's Sutherland. Donald Sutherland's son, right? Yeah. 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 I love Donald Sutherland. Okay. We Again, watched, I don't have an opinion. We watched Pride and Prejudice, the movie, not that long ago, Shane and I, because he was in the mood for a period drama and I'm always in the mood for a period drama and it just reminded me how good Donald Sutherland is. As in the Kira Knightley Pride and Prejudice? Correct, the film. I haven't seen it in years. So the day it came out, which was in 2005, my mum and I saw it at the cinemas in the morning and then we went back in the night. I mean, on the same day. Literally does not surprise me in the slightest. No, God, no. And in fact, you probably told me in 2005 at the time. I know that I would have. Yeah. Um, It's, and I'm not a Kira Knightley fan. It's a beautiful film. Yeah. I mean, I prefer the BBC version. Of course. But we don't always have six hours to like. Look, I always have six hours for that. But it's hard to convince Shane that he should sit through that. Do you remember like one of my MySpace profile pictures <laughs> was Colin Firth in the like wet yes. shirt, right? Like yeah. after he's been in the lake. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it just said, he can fish in my trout stream any day. <laughs> like, you I know how you would like that. make it in paint? Oh, yes. And then like that was my MySpace profile picture. You were like a meme originator before any memes yeah. even existed i remember I at the time because you had that picture i i'm more, the bit that i go for you know when she it's after the lake yeah. and she's in his house in pemberley and she's playing the piano and the the scene opens on his face it's a close-up <gasps> on him watching yes. her and he's got this look in his that's yes. my photo so i had that photo on my space yes which oh is my just God. him like half smiling looking at elizabeth yes oh shit <laughs> Me at 16, 17. Couldn't handle it. Colin Firth. Oh, Could my God. Could not handle Colin Firth. Mr. Darcy. Too much masculinity for my teenage body to deal with, <laughs> I think. <laughs> yes, that's what people, the word people go to when they think of Colin Firth. Is just it was then. Ultimately masculine. <laughs> uh, do you have any apologies today, Ruth? Well, yes. Well, it kind of segues into our spotlight as well. Perfect. Well, I'll go first. Okay. Because I have an apology. Yeah. Uh, this was pointed out to be by Luke. Thank you, Luke. 
is about Hamilton and modulations. Okay. Um, I erroneously said that there was only one modulation in Hamilton. And at the time, Ruth, you like pulled me up on it because you were like, no, no, farmer refuted. <laughs> and it's so true. There are actually more very sneakily placed modulations throughout Hamilton. So for those who are wondering, a modulation is just a, a change of key. So like uh, usually pitch change up is normally what happens. Um, Builds dramatic tension. Yeah, it does. As soon as I read this comment, I was like, shit, you're absolutely right. It does happen a lot more than what I thought. And I think this is not me trying to get out of being wrong because I was wrong, but also like Alex Lacamoire and Lin-Manuel are obviously such fucking geniuses that they really do sneak them in there. Yeah. In a way that, like, normally, if you think about famous key changes, they're so bloody obvious. They hit you over the head. Yeah. These ones are not. They're sneaky. <laughs> but, yes, I was wrong. Um, and I'm sorry about that. Luke is going to be very excited for his shout-out, by the way. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Luke. Thank you for helping with us, our accuracy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my apology is also kind of our spotlight for today. So just some background, like, we, these are obviously recorded ahead of time. Yes. And essentially last week after we recorded, you know, we talked about um, the Artists of Colour initiative that is yeah. happening in Australia and to do with like it was sort of inspired by the events that transpired with the Rob Guest endowment. Yeah. And like we recorded and then the next day the Rob Guest endowment was cancelled in Australia. Yeah, it so, was like the quickest we'd ever yeah. dated our podcast. <laughs> we dated ourselves so quickly. <laughs> Before it came out. So like. When you were listening to last week's episode, you'd be like, hang on. It hasn't been cancelled, idiot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, it has been cancelled yes, now. It has it, been yes, cancelled. Yes, yes. and, and we were talking like present tense. So yeah. um, it has been cancelled now. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it's it was turned into somehow even into more of a clusterfuck than it already was. I could not believe the clusterfuck yeah. that it turned into. Yeah. Because essentially the endowment, um, so, you know, we mentioned it last week, but the Rob Guest Endowment is a competition for yeah. um, musical theatre, young musical theatre performers in Australia. Yeah. Um, like and emerging. Cash prize is given and, you yeah, you compete. And yeah. um, when the semifinalists for 2020 were released, they released them all with all their headshots in one photo. Yeah. And it. They were just very white. All white. Yeah. All white, basically. Yeah. And so lots of, you know, there's been lots of discussion about it. And as I said, like lots of, um, you know, different organisations have sprung up. Mm, um, as a result. Yeah, as a result, which is really great. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, um, at that stage the Rob Guest Endowment had just announced that they were going to do X, Y and Z for the next competition and have mm. percentage, sure you know, this, representation. Sure yeah, yeah, which I assume they will still do. Don't yes. get me wrong. I think they've said that in their statement. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then, yeah, literally a day or so later they Cancel announced that they were cancelling the entire competition for 2020. Yeah. Uh, it's only held every two years, so the next one will be 2022. Yeah. Um, and the reason that they gave was that they felt that the semi-finalists were being bullied. Yeah. And the issue with that is, like, A, the semi-finalists have since released a collective statement, the mm. 30 of them, and said, no, that's not true. It's not, yeah. Um, you know, we very much stand with our BIPOC, you know, um, colleagues and friends. Yeah. But also they they found out it was being cancelled from like, when social media. When everyone else found out. Yeah. Yeah. Like so if you care about their mental health so much. I know. Maybe send them an email before you make, like, cancel yeah. it. It actually, like, when I say it turned into a clusterfuck, it, it made me so mad yeah. in a way that I was already mad when the, when the semifinalists were announced. Not mad at the semifinalists, of course, but mad at the endowment. Yeah. And then they just dug themselves deeper and deeper into a hole 
And the way that they have, like, they made the announcement, I've actually, I'm going to link in the show notes to their webpage where you can see sort of their statement yeah. so you can read it. But I just think, I just think the handling of the whole thing has been really on yeah. the nose. And it's, it's like really staggering. I thought, I, I assumed that these organisations are actually just sort of on top of how to behave in mm. the world. But mm. I think honestly, it's, it really just shows you how far we've got to go in this yeah, country. so far. Um, and I'm really glad so many performers and people in the industry have spoken out, like past winners have yeah. spoken out and just said, you know, this isn't on, we have to do better. Yeah. Like as, a, as an industry, as a country, we have to do better. Yeah. And I do think that like when, um, when the George Floyd murders happened and when all the protests started happening in America, I think our industry and like Broadway really had to reckon with itself, yes. right? I think our Australian industry, we all were like, this happens here, but this was just such an, like, it was like a thing you could point to and go, look, it's happening. Yeah, look, and this it was is this is representative so of it. So visual. Exactly. So visual. Like, yeah. It, it, like you couldn't have constructed a better sort of analogy of the industry yeah. if you tried yeah. than what had actually transpired yeah. with the Rob Guest endowment. Yeah. It was just so, yeah. And, and to think that, yeah, it happened really in the midst of. Yeah. Anyway, uh, makes me really mad. And I'm like, not that I'm glad that it's cancelled. Because yeah. you know, I'm sure it's it's a very important thing and whatever. Like we should we should fix it. But I also feel like it was sort of maybe the coward's way out. And yeah. to blame to to say that the reason that it was closing that it was cancelled was because of the semi finalists being bullied was yeah. just very which clearly, is also kind of saying that like it's oh, the it's BIPOC fault, community's guys. fault. Yeah, sorry, we can't have this now. You yeah. complain too much. Well, exactly. Fuck off. Like, how about you just fix it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's. it's it's and I and I just hope that they've they've learnt the lesson. I mean, that's yeah. really the ultimate thing, right? I really hope that they're willing to listen to what yeah. people are saying. There's, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of um, statements from like the um, diversity um, panel from Equity, like yeah. Actors Equity in Australia, have done some really great work, and yeah. um, you know, pledges that have been mm. released and things like that. And they're starting to work with organisations to for them to have sort of like cultural inclusion plans in place yeah. and that sort of thing. So yeah. look, I really hope it is a turning point in our industry here. I hope so. Yeah. I just I just keep like we're going to we're going to keep perpetuating this vicious cycle by doing these sorts of things. And and then the argument will always be, oh well, you know, there aren't there aren't that many BIPOC yeah. performers. Well like that's the problem though. It's yeah. not that you can't find them. It's that you are not encouraging them. It's that exactly. like you're not creating a space for them. And like Don't make it up to them. Representation begets representation. Exactly. If you're so not when putting you release, them on stage, yeah. they're not going – like no yeah. little kid is going to sit there and go, well, I can do that. Yeah, oh, that could be something I might like to yeah. do. Like I don't know. I just feel like too many people are taking not enough responsibility um, so yeah, that was yeah. both of our spotlights today. Yeah. Cause I think, yeah, I was, I was pretty shitty. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you have any recommendations? Yes, I do. Yeah. We're going out of order today. Oh, sorry. No, I think it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I'm really stressed. I do have recommendations. Mine is a bit of a cop out. Okay. So because I was researching, spoiler, not a spoiler, I've been researching a little night music all week yep. this week to get ready for this episode and I've been listening to it a lot and it's any Sondheim is a lot to listen to. Yep. Like you cannot just sort of sit in it for a week. Yeah. You have to cleanse the palate. So I've been cleansing my palate with Hadestown <laughs> because 
I was in such a Hamilton zone for so long after the film came out. It's been a while since I've listened to Hades yeah. Town. And just this week I have re-met it. And no, no surprises because it's my second favourite musical of all time. It's so fucking Fallen good. Fallen back in love. Holy shit, it's good. Yeah. It's just such a good musical. Yeah. And it just makes me feel all of the feelings. And yeah. the music is so well constructed and so beautifully orchestrated and so perfectly executed by the performers. Yeah. yeah like I honestly cannot fault the show. Yeah. Like for me, it's perfect. Yeah. Where Sunday the Parker George has lots of faults that I can very well see. I'm so emotionally attached to it. Hades Town is just perfection. Yeah. So my recommendation, if somehow in our Hades Town episode you were like, fuck her, I'm not listening to that. If somehow you thought that, you should go and listen to Hades Town, yeah. please. It's just so good. What's um, your recommendation? Mine are – so I was sitting there and I was going, what can I recommend this week? And I was looking at my bookshelf. Yeah. And I realised that I had done two episodes on these shows and not mentioned the show companion books that came with these shows. Disgusting. How could you not mention the show companion books? <laughs> and also <laughs> – but also because I actually use them quite a bit in my research. Yeah, of course. So the two were um, the Dear Evan Hansen companion book and the Book of Mormon companion book. Nice. The Dear Evan Hansen one is called Through the Window. Of and the book of the Book of Mormon one is called The Testament of a Broadway Musical. <laughs> and I love a show companion book. Yes, we know. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned the Hamilton one in the Hamilton, the Hamilton in the Hamilton episode, but they're they're all fantastic. Yeah, I just that is like next level nerdery. Like if you know someone loves a show, yeah, buy them, them the, the companion book if there is one that exists. Shane, I really want the two. So they're not companion books, but I want um, finishing the hat and look. I made a hat desperately. Yes. Hard covers, please. Yes. It's expensive, but just do it. You know, my dad bought me the first one. Did he? Yeah, like oh, for Christmas one year, which is like my dad is never the one who buys Christmas presents. It's always my mum's shock I wonder shock if horror. He, he had seen it and was it, just like. It was at, he was at Kinnacunya yeah, okay. in Sydney Makes and so he was just like, oh, like it was, yeah. Ruth will love that. And he was so right. Yeah, exactly. Have you seen the the like latest edition of it has like beautiful jewel tone like covers? Like bright colour ones. Yeah, yeah, it's like bright electric blue and like hot pink. I've, yeah, I've seen pictures of them. That's what I want, Shane. Okay. Then we can have the different editions. Oh. <laughs> I just like had a flutter in my stomach. Oh, yes. They're yeah. so good. That's... I've recommended them before. Oh, of course. Yeah. Those are good recommendations. Yes. Um, our theatre explained for the week. Yes, tell me. Oh, I had never heard this term before. Oh, how did you? Yeah, so Josephine lists out the theatre explained. Yeah, they're my The ideas. drama teacher and Josephine just, yes. like, gives us stuff to do. And so this week we're doing something called the Bastard Prompt. You'd never heard of I it. I had never heard this term before wow. in my life. That shows you how little I, like, I mean, I have, I've, I've assistant stage managed something before, but that's but it. But stage managing, so the Bastard Prompt really comes up in the world of stage managing. And yeah. it's a whole, whole other industry like if you want to become a stage manager all power to you it's a fucking big job we've yeah. said it before yeah but bastard prompt do you want me to talk yeah, about it or do you it. want to it's basically um in the theater we have like terms for positionings on stage which yeah. we've talked about upstage and downstage before but there's also stage left and stage right and they're always universal so that wherever you are the director can say you know upstage left and everyone knows where to go basically left and right is from the perspective of the actor yeah so if i'm standing on stage facing the audience left is to my left and left of stage is also um, referred to as prompt side yeah. because generally the person prompting or the person calling the cues, the stage manager, is generally on 
one left of yeah. stage, just off stage. So they're always on the prompt side and they're prompting the actors if anything happens. But sometimes, depending on the theatre you're in or, you know, set pieces that might be in the way or whatever, you cannot have the stage manager calling from stage left. Yeah. So, But you can't call something else prompt side. So say you put the stage manager on the right side of the stage, you cannot call that prompt anymore because prompt is – it means something. Yeah. So you call it bastard prompt. Yeah. And that's – and bastard prompt could be anywhere. Like – and it's sort of a – in theatre, if you – like you would – you would go to a you'd go perform in a show and the stage manager would be like, Oh, we're um we're going to be calling it from bastard prompt. Yeah. Which will tell the actors straight away, okay, stage manager is not going to be stage left. Right. This show. They're gonna be somewhere They're else. They're gonna be somewhere else. Sometimes in like a little box somewhere, sometimes stage right. Like yeah. it could be anywhere. Yeah. But yeah, that's bastard prompt. Yeah. That's it's used cool. a lot in opera, even more than theatre. I read that. I heard that the in opera often the person queuing is like up the back or yes. yeah, it's and in quite opera different. To, it's not normally the stage manager who calls the cues. It's okay. usually the deputy stage right. manager okay. in opera, which is slightly different again. Yeah. But, um, yeah, bastard prompt. Yeah, even like prompt and um, and uh, opposite, opposite, opposite prompt. prompt, right, like P and OP is what they're yeah. always referred to, like at our local theatre. Yeah. It, it wasn't really until I was an adult that I heard people using those terms a oh, lot. Oh, wow. I don't, even, I don't even really remember what they used to call it. When I was a kid. Yeah, I wonder if they just said left and right. I think they probably did. Yeah, which is still correct. Yeah. So you can you can say stage left or you can say prompt side, or you could say stage right or opposite prompt. Yeah. And you would be correct. Yeah. Um and yeah, it's just it's just known that left is prompt. And I guess because like the prompt has always sat stage left at that theatre that we grew up performing in. Yes. We've never had a bastard prompt, well, really. Well, it's also, I, because I grew up performing in that theatre, if I'm ever forgetting which side is prompt, I just remember in that theatre the stage manager was always, on, always on the stage left, yeah. left so yeah. prompt is stage left. Yeah, interesting. But, yeah, if you'd grown up in a bastard prompt theatre, I don't know what yeah. you would have. I know. Yeah. Anyway. Hmm. I think um, that's been Theatre Explained with Ruth and Josephine. <laughs> Shall we talk about some shows? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm first, I think. Oh, you're first again? Aren't you always first? You say this, I'm first literally 50% of the time. I don't think that's true. Mm. I'm just saying I think there's do you shenanigans. Think do you think I'm... Um, like I, rigging it? I think you are. Okay. Okay, tell me about a musical. This week yes. I am talking about a little show called The Colour Purple. Oh. Do you like this show? I do. Yeah. Do you know my only problem with this show yep. is that the word colour doesn't have a U in it? That it's spelt the American way. I find it so offensive to look at. Interestingly, so it kept giving me a spelling mistake for it in my, <laughs> in my document, which I found Yes, that's amusing. right because it is incorrect. Yeah, and also but I did notice that even if whichever way I spelt it, like on Google or Spotify or whatever, it would always still come up correctly. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, like if I spelt it with a U, it would still come up. There's something else that that happens for. What? It's favourite. Favourite, When yes. I type in favourite. The one that's in the title of our show. That's right. But if, yeah. I'm, if I'm looking for my favourite, murder, yes. if I type it with an O-U, which I always do because that's how I write favourite, yeah. it will still come up. Yes, exactly. It must just They must just they must write know. it into the AI or whatever. Yeah. Um, so this is a show that I feel really wasn't on my radar like at all, right? Like the original cast, Broadway cast recording was never really on my radar. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until I saw the Broadway revival in 2015. Like I'd never even I cannot really, believe you saw that. I'm I, so jealous. I'm just going to put it out there. I saw it twice. <laughs> You're a bitch. I'm sorry. I love You're you. You're a smug bitch. I am. Um, <laughs> it wasn't really until I saw the show live that I really understood, A, what all the hype was about and B, like, 
that it was an amazing show. Yeah. And I actually think that I got a lot more from it seeing the show than you do just listening to the cast recording, me personally. Yep. Um, Had you been aware of like the book and the movie before that? Yeah, I had actually studied them I think at either school or uni. Mm-hmm. So I I had both read the book and seen the film. Wow, um, that's unlike you. It, yeah, it must have been uni because so I did So you it. can read. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I used to read a lot when I was yes, you did. a child. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think I did a course at uni that was literally about like you would compare like a film version of a book and you would read it and say and like you know some english course and i have a feeling we did the color purple i love for that yeah same same um and the movie yeah they're both great um and i also have had moments where i've been obsessed with oprah in my life of course (laughs) of course (laughs) and of course it's a massive book and film and um musical in oprah's life as well so um i like yes also love it on that so um i I'm not a religious person, but seeing this show in 2015 is kind of the closest I've ever been like to like having a religious experience. Wow. Like it was just, it was that sort of the music and the performances, everything just made you want to like get up and throw your hands in the air and like worship. Right. Like, honestly, like that is the feeling that I had. Oh my God. Yeah. And, um, I, who, who, I don't I know. know you. I'm sorry. That is what it was like. Who that is what you? it was like being in that theater. Um, I love that the story is all about women. Yeah. Um, I love that it is completely about the black experience and there's not a single white person in the show, like not a single white character or anything. Mm -hmm. And I love that it is a very life-affirming story of like forgiveness and redemption and also about like learning to love ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, I love all those things about it. Yeah, the Um, themes are so nice. Yeah, amazing. And I I just want to point out that it is a really full-on story. Like it is a dark story. But it is also gutting. It, yeah, but it is also like about getting through it's that. It's about triumph, and, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, and hope over Grit adversity and, and all yeah. those sorts of things. So it is, of course, as we mentioned, based on the 1982 novel of the same name by Alice Walker and the 1985 film adaptation directed by Steven Spielberg. Um, it's based on both of those um, texts, kind of thing. Like it's not just one or the other. Um, music and lyrics by Stephen Bray, Brenda Russell, and Ali Willis. And book by Marsha Norman. So we've discussed mm. um, Marsha Norman before on the Secret Garden episode. Um, she wrote the book for that. And she also wrote the book of the musical The Bridges of Madison County. Yes. Um, for the composers, though, interesting, like this is their only Broadway credit, um, which I think is really interesting. They're all basically very successful singer, songwriters and music producers, like between them, like lots of kind of um, Grammy nominations yeah. and things like that. So, for example, Just a whole other world. Yeah, yeah. Brenda Russell, she was a singer in her own right, and her biggest hit was uh, 1988's "Piano in the Dark," which you would recognise. Hmm. Uh, I'll play it for you um, later, but like, it, you know, guys, go go and Google it. You'll probably recognise the song. I'm trying um, to think, she sang it herself. Um, Stephen Bray worked extensively with Madonna. Like, was one of her like. Early in her career, he was a really big um, collaborator of hers and he co-wrote and produced several of her biggest early songs, including Express Yourself. Obviously, that's a very famous song. Express Yourself. Um, Allie Willis, who unfortunately passed away last year, she was a real character. She co-wrote some really massive songs, including September and Boogie Wonderland for Earth, Wind and Fire, as well as I'll Be There For You for the Rembrandt. <laughs> the theme song to the TV show Friends. Oh shit! Yeah, so like we're talking like big deal, big deal songwriters, right? Yeah. But just interesting that they came together for this, and then like, but that's it. Like none of them have done any other theatre. Like it's yeah. But it's what interesting. a what a work. Yeah, 
So the story. So the story takes place between 1909 to the early 1950s in rural rural Georgia. Um, When we begin the show, Celie is 14 and she's pregnant with her second child, having already had one, both to her father. Fuck. Yeah. Like heavy, right? The father has already um, like sort of given away her first baby and he says he's going to get rid of this one too. Mm. Um, she's incredibly close with her sister Nettie who longs to be a teacher uh, and they are like, you know, thick as thieves, tight as, like always vow that they're never going to be apart. Um, we then skip to four years later and a widower named Mr. wants to marry Nettie, um, the sister, but their father says that he can have Celia instead. Hmm. Um, and like Celie says yes so that Nettie can become a teacher basically. Like yeah. that's the um, – Mr. is also like incredibly abusive and he prevents Celie from ever seeing or writing to Nettie ever again. Um, Mr. is having a long-standing affair with a jazz singer named Suge Avery and she would come and stay with them and her and Celie kind of develop their own relationship. Um, it's the first time Celie has ever felt love or romantic joy um, in her life. Mm. Suge also manages to uncover all of the net letters that Nettie has been writing to Celie for years and they discover that Nettie is working as a missionary in Africa and that Celie's mm. children, Adam and Olivia, are also alive and working with the mission in Africa. Mm, um, Celie stands up to Mr., um, and ends up going off on her own and she basically starts a business making pants. There's a great song called Miss Silly's Pants yes. um, that everyone loves. Um, and Mr. sort of realises what an awful person he's been and, and, like, asks for forgiveness, which she gives him and they are friends, like, you know, at the end of the show. Um, and at the end, Silly, you know, because she'll just, like, also, even though she's, like, helped Celie find love. She also just keeps going off and having an affair, having affairs with men kind of thing. So at the end, Celie really realizes that she doesn't need anyone else to be whole and happy. Um, and that song. Yeah. Incredible. Um, song I'm here. And, uh, at the very end of the show, she's reunited with her sister and her children and it's a happy ending. Um, so that's kind of the story. Yeah. The, the book is actually written in a series of letters. Yeah. Letters to God. Um, yeah. is sort of how it's it's done. And so that's really actually, well I think, done, actually. Huh? It's really well done. Yeah, I like yeah, that about it. It's very it. clever. Um, and I actually think that that helps the show sort of um, like it's almost like scenes, you know, like it does yeah. help. It, it does. And it also like, yeah, it sort of separates the ideas but then also gives this really clear voice. Yeah. Like you've got a voice it's that you can follow Celia's through. It's from voice, That's right. Yeah. So you've got this clear character. Exactly. Yeah. So um, after a pre-Broadway tryout at the Alliance Theatre in Atlanta, Georgia, the original Broadway production opened at the Broadway Theatre on December 1st, 2005 and ran to February 24th, 2008, running 940 performances. Um, it recouped its $11 million investment in the first year. Like it was very successful. Um, and there have been a total of four US tours since that original production, like a lot. Yeah, wow. Um, that original production was nominated for 11 Tony Awards. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, although it won only one, wow. which was Best a- best Leading Actress for Lashans, who yeah, played Seely. Um, the best musical that year was Jersey Boys, and I think Jersey Boys won a lot of the Tony Awards that yeah, year. Yeah, it did. It won a lot. Yeah. Um, mm. 
The show was uh, first staged in London at the 180-seat Meunier Chocolate Factory for a two-month run in July 2013 in a production directed by John Doyle, um, who we've discussed before for his sort of stripped back, you know, often he'll do the actor-musician productions like he did Company and he did Sweeney Todd. We've discussed both of those productions. Yeah, nice. Um, and that production starred an up-and-coming British performer named Cynthia Erivo. Uh, the London production was so acclaimed that the decision was made to transfer it to Broadway, which was very soon, considering at that stage the original had only closed seven years prior. So, like, the Broadway revival started less than eight years after the original That's had closed. That's phenomenal. Yeah. It's really yeah. unheard of. It really is. It's like Spring Awakening <clears throat> was a little bit similar when the Deaf West production yeah, of course. reopened. But, yeah, it's like very soon, yeah. very soon to do a revival. So the Broadway revival started previews at the Bernard B. Jacobs Theatre on November 10th, 2015 and ran until January 8th, 2017, closing after 482 performances. I don't think I know that theatre. Yeah, it's not a massive one. Yeah. I've been there a couple of times. I don't really – I think I've, I think the other shows I've seen there are plays, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, the revival didn't recoup, but producers did say it came very close and that they were hopeful with tours and everything that it would recoup. Yeah. Um, that Broadway revival was nominated for four Tonys and it won two. It won Best Revival of a Musical and Best Leading Actress for Cynthia Revo, who played Seely. Fucking oath. So, like, both Lashans and, and Cynthia Revo both won – Tony's for their performances. That role is a Tony award-winning role. It's like a Mama Rose. It's oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And also, um, not that they're not amazing. No, yeah. But also, like that's quite incredible because that was also the year of Hamilton. Oh, so I think that was one of that was the only acting category that Hamilton didn't win. Um, so it would have been Philippa Sue that she beat out as best leading actress. Oh, yeah. Did Renee Lee Goldsberry was that supporting? Supporting? Yeah, yeah. Supporting. She's not on stage that much of a no, second she's act. Not. I mean, she's on stage a lot, but she's not. Yes, like, <laughs> she's not like yes. in the forefront. Um, and as we've discussed before, that revival also won the Grammy for Best Cast Album and a Daytime Emmy for Outstanding Musical Performance in a Daytime Program. So that's how Cynthia Erivo has her Emmy, Grammy, Tony and Grammy. Yes. She just doesn't All have the Oscar from The yet. Colour Purple. Yes, yes, yes. So now we just need her Oscar, which she's already been nominated once. Yeah, for Harriet Tubman, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so the original production was co-produced by both Quincy Jones and Oprah Winfrey. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, in fact, the billing of the production was Oprah Winfrey Presents the Colour Purple. Like that was how it was billed. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, Heather Headley had had a huge break from Broadway before doing the Colour Purple revival. Yes, I know. Um, so she took over from Jennifer Hudson played Shug Avery in the revival and, and Heather Headley took over. Um, so after being the original Nala in The Lion King and receiving raves for Aida, she wasn't on Broadway again for 15 years yeah, when fuck. she took over. So she didn't do anything between Aida, which we talked about recently, yes. and this show. I didn't know that. Yeah. You she, just assume a person who has that level of talent yeah. and stardom would have continued. She did do the bodyguard in London. Oh, she yeah. played the lead in the bodyguard, which of course, like I think they assumed that that would go to Broadway, but it just didn't didn't. didn't didn't do that well. God. So like, yeah, so she, she did that in so London. Good. She is incredible. Um, so, and then Jennifer Holiday replaced Heather Headley as Shug, which is a really nice piece of symmetry because um, to Jennifer Hudson playing the role with both Jennifers having made their careers as Effie in Dreamgirls. Yeah. Because, of course, Jennifer Holiday won the Tony for the original Broadway production as Effie and Jennifer Hudson won the Oscar for the film um, adaptation. So I love that they then both played Shug. I think that that's great. Um, just a few other random fun casting facts. Michelle Williams of Destiny's Child was Shug Avery on the first US national, national tour. Oh, 
cool. Yeah. And um, Renee Elise Goldsbury, who we just talked about, was the original Nettie on Broadway. Oh, I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, me neither. That's cool. Yeah. And Brandon Victor Dixon, who we've also talked yes. about before, um, he was the original Harpo. Nice. Yeah, nice. so they're both quite young, obviously. Yeah. Um, at the time. So LaShance, who was the original Seely and won the Tony for her portrayal, um, I don't know if you know much about her personal life. I don't. So I had sort of heard about this, but she was eight months pregnant on with her second child in 2001 when her husband was killed in 9-11. Oh, he was a trader, fuck. like working on in the World Trade Center. Um, oh. One of her two daughters, Celia Rose Gooding, is actually one of the leads in Jagged Little Pill. Really? Yeah, and it's the it's at the time that it opened, LaShans was in A Christmas Carol on Broadway, oh. making them the first ever mother-daughter duo to appear on Broadway at the same time. That's incredible. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Yeah, she's had like, yeah, sort of a, a really insane life. Yeah, and, of course, she was the original Tamoon in yeah. Once on This Island and, like, yeah, she's quite incredible. Um, so book writer Marsha Norman won the Pulitzer Prize for drama in 1983 for her play Night Mother, yes. which is lovely because it was also the same year that Alice Walker won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction for The Colour Purple. For Colour Purple, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a cool little. Um, and apparently they had to do lots of press together and oh, stuff, so they already nice. kind of knew so each other. they knew other. each other. Yeah. Um, and John Doyle, who directed the Broadway revival, he was also the set designer for the oh, Broadway wow. revival, which I guess comes from the fact that it was in this tiny theatre in London, right? Yeah. But um, I loved the set. It was basically a whole bunch of chairs on the back wall of the stage and they would just get pulled down and used as necessary to represent different things. That's and, nice. Yeah, it was just like incredibly simple and effective Um and, like, John Doyle has said in interviews that he doesn't consider himself a minimalist, but he thinks he gets to the essentials of what a show is. So he said he's happy to be called an essentialist. Oh. Um, but, yeah, like, and I do agree. I think that that's what he really does. Yeah, nice. Um, and, um, you know, I've heard a lot about the original production and how little literal it was, mm. and I do think that that set is one of the biggest improvements that they made. That's cool. Um, a couple of talking points. So the show has always been hugely popular with African-American audiences. I heard a stat that the normal percentage of audiences on Broadway at the time that the original opened was only around 3.8% black, hmm. but at The Colour Purple it was more like 50-50. Wow. Yeah. Um, but then the makeup of the creative team is interesting. So, like, the directors of both productions have been white men. Mm. Um, John Doyle was very aware of that fact. Like, I have saw interviews with him where he was just like, I, I don't think – I don't I, – he's straight away he was like, I don't think I'm the person who should be directing this show. Yes. Um, and I think he was just very aware of it the whole time. But, like, he still did do it. Yes. But, um, yes, he was very aware of it yeah. basically. Okay. Um, the writers were sort of 50% black, so, like – two of the writers were black and two were white. Yeah. Um, which is more than usual for 2005. Definitely. But like still not 100%, you know, yeah. in telling what is, as I said, literally a 100% black story. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so interestingly, people have like, like our friend Zach saw both productions. Yeah. And he really um, felt like, they were quite different. Wow. Um, but interestingly, like in. Not just in vision, like in content. Yeah. In, well, wow. I had heard that about half an hour had been cut out of it for one thing. That's not a bad thing. And he really felt like, and this is, is also reflects what I've read, that they really just focused the story in on Seely and Nettie and like 
like Celie's story yes. and not a lot of the side characters. Like I haven't even mentioned, but like there's Sophia and Harpo, yeah. like I said. Um, Sophia in the revival, of course, was played by the amazing Danielle Brooks, who yeah. if you've ever seen Orange is the New Black, she's in that TV show, but also is one of the founding members of Black Women on Broadway. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, incredible woman yeah. and so talented. Um, and so, yeah, so like they mostly did things to focus on the actual story. And I, I did read, like I heard Marsha Norman say that, in fact, very little of the dialogue has changed. It's just much more about they got rid of basically all musical transitions. Yeah, nice. So because they've got that simple set, they just don't need that. They don't need time to exactly, move things around. Exactly. Um, and that does seem to be like like the criticisms that I've read of the original were that it was quite overblown mm. and and that sort of thing. And so, yeah, it's just really just like pacing that they improved. That's great. But everyone just said it was it was far superior in every way. Wow. I, di- I did also hear John Doyle say that like, he really appreciates the original it's he's like it's always easier coming back and looking at something of course you know once it's already been done this would be better yeah yeah exactly um so i'm gonna link to on spotify there's both the original broadway cast and the 2015 revival recordings i'll link to both of those um so some gateway songs yes Um, we can't go past i'm here you can't it's so good it is probably especially like I think when Cynthia Revo does it, one of the best songs ever yeah. written. Like but she has this like, like gravitas and charisma that I don't, I can't even put into words. No, it's so magnetic. Yeah, and she sings like I don't even know what it's. And it feels like she could belt anything, doesn't it? Like yeah. she just has this voice where it's just like I can't believe she's belting that note. And also like. Oh, wow, she can control the shit out of her voice. Yeah. Like every aspect of her voice is completely under her control. Yeah, exactly. Oh. And it's interesting because so there's a note sort of right at the end, right, and Lashan's, um does it like a soprano, like, yeah. you know, hits it in her head voice and, and um, Cynthia Riva belts, belts the shit it. out of it. And, like, I'm sure it would have been incredible watching Lashan's do it anyway. Oh, yeah. But then just to see her sort yeah. of rip into this note the way she does, it's just like, oh, my God. Yeah. And yeah. That, where that song comes in the show, it's just, like, such a payoff for yeah, Sealy. So exactly. it's, it's just everything about it is just. Yeah. You know, and, like, the mm. lyrics are quite, you know, it's like I'm going to take a deep breath, I'm going to yeah. hold my head up, you yeah. know, put my shoulders back and look him straight in the eye, you oh. know, some incredible lyrics really. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's- I actually just, side note because I know you're doing gateways, I thought that Whoopi Goldberg in that film as Silly was so magnificent. Yes, yeah. That was a big sign and of note. course, and of course, Oprah has when she's Sophia. Yes, she has that big speech that like people just have recited back to her yeah. for how many years since the show. Well, it's so good. I heard her tell this total side note, but I heard her tell this story because, of course, when they were turning it into the musical, she she did it talked about it on her when she had her talk show, show yeah, yeah. a lot like flew the cast out to perform on it all that of sort course. of stuff and she was saying how because her name is not on the original movie poster because she wasn't famous no at she the was time. a no one and um and so for the like films i think it was like the 40th anniversary or something of the film maybe not that much um uh yeah Quin- it was like 85 or yeah something, okay so. so maybe it was the 30th um quincy jones um bought her he got a version of the movie poster made with her name oh, in the credits like nice. at the bottom so that's the only version that has her name in it that's I thought cool that was awesome. Whereas now like if you google the film hers is the first name that's that right because she's the most famous she, she, yeah she's oprah exactly <laughs> i know it's so funny but she was just like a newsreader at the time yeah yeah she and was I think great in that just as it was coming out she signed to do her talk show yeah apparently. yeah God. um yeah she does that speech where it's like um 
I love Harpo, but I kill him dead before yeah. I let him beat me. You know, it's so good. Um, so, yeah, so I'm here. Just an incredible song. It is. Um, yeah, since Erivo sings the shit out of it. Um, Hell No, I've listed oh, yeah, that's as a my good second, one. which is um, the one that Sophia sings pretty much after she does that. Yeah, that's uh, Which is like there is no way a man is – I'm letting a man beat me up. Like – Men have beat me up all my life. My husband is not going to do it. Yeah. That's essentially what she's saying. Um, and then the other one I've um, put in is What About Love, which is sort of the love mm. duet between Suge and Celie, just because I think it shows that, like, other side of it and there's some beautiful harmonies in it. Yeah. Jennifer Hudson and – I put the Broadway revival. Oh, yeah. Because I also do think, like, the orchestrations and everything have also been improved it's for just the a revival. Recording yeah. across the it's board. It's just, like, simpler and cleaner. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, – so, um, yes, I, and they sound – I mean, those are two glorious voices oh, yeah. singing together. Um, as I said, Hell No is Danielle Brooks as Sophia. Again, she sings the shit out of it. And then just a little bonus one because I could not put this in is um, Jennifer Hudson doing – Push the button, oh, which yeah. is a whole song about the clitoris. Yeah, and like I don't even know if they realized how racy it was when they put it in. Any song about finding the clitoris is yeah. a great song in my book. It's books. literally just like push the button, like <laughs> like that is what the song is. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I've gone for four. I'm afraid That's they're fine. all fine. You're allowed. And like, but honestly, like, do listen. Ugh, it's so hard to say because like I wouldn't say it's the sort of show where you can get right into it. Straight from being like, do listen to those songs, yeah. I think, first. But at the same time, there is some incredible harmonies and gospel music all throughout the score, like really amazing gospel music. Yeah. If you're in that sort of mood, yeah. that's what the show's got. So, yeah, Colour Purple. Nice. Highly recommended. Well, yeah, it's on the podcast. <laughs> that's right. That was good, Ruthie. Thanks, love. Okay, I'm going to talk to you about a little night music. Excellent. Excellent indeed. Who's it by? Oh. <laughs> okay. This show was written by famous composer, all-round good guy, Stephen Sondheim. <laughs> <laughs> this is Sondheim's eighth Broadway show, oh. which actually in my head it was earlier, but no, it wasn't. It was his eighth. Yeah. Mm, yes. So. Like it's post-Hal. What? Post Hal Prince, right? Oh, no, this is the height of Hal Prince. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. How about I tell you? Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, this. Oh, it is too. Yeah, sorry. This Sondheim show is like actually one that I've always been aware of. Yeah. So somehow it's just been in my world. I knew it before I knew Sunday in the Park with George. Oh, okay. And I've actually seen it quite a few times. Yeah. Somehow. I'll get into that. I think in terms of its story and its, like, theatrical sparkle, it's one of Sondheim's most watchable musicals. Mm. I think it's – well, the story is – it's basically a romance, right? Like, it, and who doesn't love a romance? So it's pretty much like it's not as – I – okay, let me just go back a few steps. I adore this show. It doesn't have the emotional pull that Sunday in the Park with George has. Yeah. It doesn't have that, like, poppy fun of company. It doesn't have the sadness and, like, mania of follies. But it's – it. I think it's his most beautiful show. Oh. So, oh, like, if you're out there and you love Sondheim but you don't know this one, it, it will just show you, like, a different side to him. Yeah. And it's more like you're not going to connect with this show on a really personal level but you're going to enjoy – the spectacle of it and the beauty of the music. Yeah. And just the nice sort of romance of the story. Yeah. It's one of those sorts yeah. of ones. Yeah. 
it's like that film that you really like but you wouldn't say it's in your top ten because yeah. you're not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's It's, it's just like you can appreciate though. it more than like having a personal. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, it's beautiful. I think it's his most like complete and perfect score even mm. over Sweeney Todd. Okay. Yeah. I just – Oh, that's completely unsubstantiated. <laughs> <laughs> that's just my gut. That's my gut. This musical is based on the 1955 Ingmar Bergman film called Smiles of a Summer Night. Yeah. Have you ever seen that film? No. Okay. I'm not surprised. <laughs> the- <laughs> my God, the shade. <laughs> Have you seen it? Yes. Okay. Damn. The title of A Little Night Music is a literal translation of Mozart's Ina Klein and Nacht Music. Yeah. Which is A Little Night Music. If you've never heard of it, you will know the song Send in the Clowns yes. from this show. So I'm hoping that if it's I just say. probably his most famous song. Yes, it is. So I'm yeah. going to tell you, I'm going to talk to you about that. But yeah. you would know Send in the Clowns. It is from this show. Just for a bit of context. Now I've centered your brain. Yes. Okay, the plot. It's very complicated. Yeah. Shock horror. Yeah. Sometime and a complicated plot. Basically, I'm going to really cut it down. It's 1900-ish. It's We're in Sweden randomly. We're focused on the love lives of a number of upper upper middle class people. So mainly Desiree, this beautiful actress who's sort of like aging. Mm. Frederick, a middle-aged lawyer who is married an 18-year-old virgin whose name is Anne. Um, Henrik, a gloomy cellist, Frederick's son. Petra, a maid, a count and a countess. And the main sort of narrators of the piece are an old lady, Desiree's mother, and her granddaughter. Yeah. Um, and they're sort of like through – they're the lens through which we see all the action. Basically, Anne and Frederick are married, but they haven't had sex yet. They've been married for like 11 months and she's still holding on to her virginity. Right. Um, and Frederick's just getting a little bit toey. <laughs> He visits like his old lover Desiree, so the actress, and they're pretty much they pretty much figure out that they're in love, even though Frederick is actually happy being married to the eighteen year old virgin. Yeah, shock horror, middle aged man wants an yeah. eighteen year old. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Frederick's son Henrik loves Anne, the eighteen year old virgin. Uh-huh. Oh, she's so popular. The Count and Countess have an unhappy marriage, as most people do, I suppose. Uh, shenanigans ensue, but basically, at the very end. In a very unsontime way, everyone ends up like who with who they should end up with, okay. and everyone's happy. So like, Anne and the son run off to be married and in love and young. Um, Desiree and Frederick find each other finally, and they're yeah. sort of happy and and yeah, it's like everything's all good. Very satisfying ending for okay. some time. Yeah. Right? So some background. It's. Actually difficult to confirm this, but many people say that A Little Night Music was Sondheim's biggest commercial success. Oh. Yeah, and just from doing some digging, digging, yes, at the time this was incredibly commercially successful. Yeah. In and I assume that- we don't count. West Side Story or Gypsy in that, right? No, yeah. this is the, like his most successful of shows that he composed the, the lyrics for, and, yeah. That's right, and music. So – I think that's actually probably true just based on the success of Send in the Clowns alone. Yeah. Yeah. Like for context, we're in the peak of 70s Sondheim. So it's his most prolific time. Yeah. he So he's already written Funny Thing, Company, Evening Primrose and Follies. Okay. So this has come just after Follies. He's at the height of his collaboration with Hal Prince. And he's working with another collaborator whose name is Hugh Wheeler. Yeah. And so they will go on to work on a couple of other projects and so will Hal Prince and Sondheim up until in a couple of years they will work on Merrily and then that relationship will sort of break down. So it's down. pre-Sweeney. It's pre-Sweeney. Yeah. Yeah. And pre like Pacific Overtures. Pacific Overtures, Overtures. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. 
So after Follies opened in 1971, Sondheim began working on A Little Night Music. It then opened in 1973 at the Schubert Theatre and it closed after 601 performances and 12 previews. Right. Which for 1973 Pretty is good. a very good run. Yeah. Theatre is widely considered to be the best theatre on Broadway. Did you know that? That's right. Yeah. I did. Yeah. yeah. And it, I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, I don't know what's in there at the moment. Like what's it supposed was, to be um, in there? It was To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, yeah. I and I saw Matilda there. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, that's right. I was right. so desperate to see that To Kill a Mockingbird production. Well, oh, my God. It might start again. It might start again. I'm sure it will come here eventually, I, but, you know. But we'll... Jeff Daniels? Will Jeff Daniels no, come? No, no, probably not. Okay, so it closed after 601 performances. It was directed by Hal Prince and it starred Len Carrie, Yeah. as Frederick. We talked about him in the Sweeney Todd episode. That's right. He was the original Sweeney. And Glynis Johns as Desiree. I didn't know much about Glynis Johns. No, but she was quite famous in her time, wasn't she? Yes. Yeah. Not as a singer though. Like she's, a, she's mm. an actress. Um, but originated the role of Desiree and was incredibly beloved in that yeah. role. So, um, yeah, this production, like, cleaned up. Everyone loved it. Okay. They just loved it. Like, critics called it a sophisticated, charming triumph, et cetera, et cetera. Like, it just got so many good reviews. Yeah. It won six Drama Desk Awards, including Outstanding Book, Outstanding Music, Outstanding Lyrics, Outstanding Actress, Outstanding Director, and Most Promising Performer. It also won a Grammy for Best Musical Show Album. Yeah. Um, then it dominated at the 1973 Tony Awards. Excellent. So it was nominated for 12 awards wow. and it won six, including Best Musical. It was up against Pippin mainly that year yeah. and a couple of others that I, I love don't... knowing what things were up against. So it, was, so it was up against Pippin, Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope. Okay. And Sugar. Sh- yeah, Sugar I've heard of. I know of Sugar. I don't know Don't Bother yeah, Me, I Can't Yeah, I bet cope. that's a big flop. I bet that's like one of those famous But it was flops. nominated for Best Musical. Yeah, it's pretty common. Um, so it also won Best Original Score, Best Book, Best Actress for Glynis Johns, Best Featured Actress and Best Costume Design. Mm. So it did really well. Um, so we have discussed at length why or that Sondheim is not really a Broadway producer's dream. We've really, like, we've discussed that he just doesn't really make a bunch of money on Broadway. Yeah. Um, they just don't. Like, yeah. funny not thing commercial. happened. Not commercial, that's right. Funny thing happened was the first show for which he wrote music and lyrics and was also his longest running. Like, mm. it was really the most success he'd had in terms of length that was on Broadway yeah. and sort of money recouped. Um, I think it's worth mentioning that I think part of the reason why he is so polarizing and hasn't found like that incredible commercial success at the beginning of his Broadway runs um, is because he doesn't really write songs. Mm. He writes scores. Yeah. That's what I think. Like if I like had to boil it down. Like not Yeah. Like he, he, Send in the Clowns definitely. That's a great standalone like standard. Yeah. But he doesn't really write songs that you piece together. But you'll remember, like, so Josephine and I did this Sondheim Cabaret. How hard um, it was. At the beginning of the year. And it was like picking songs from some of his shows. Like Mm. that's why we had so much company in there. Um, And it was like, yeah, like so for a little night music, we could have done Send in the Clowns. We did Um, Miller's Son. We ended up doing the Miller's Son. But it was like really hard to find. And Sweeney Todd we found particularly hard. Yeah, well, so many of them are just so reliant on the rest of the show. Or, or, yeah, they just don't stand us. Like don't get me wrong, you know how much I adore Sondheim, but they're not – you have to take the shows in their entirety in order yeah. to really appreciate them. And, yeah. and it's not just that actually. I think I think you cannot like 
I think you need to listen to it multiple times to appreciate yeah. it. It is not something that you can just show up to a theatre and sit in an audience and expect to be blown away yeah. by a Sondheim show. You have to work for it. Yeah. <laughs> Look, you really do. It's just too complex yeah. to get in one sitting. Um, yeah. And I I particularly like that. Like I think yeah. that's great. I know some people don't enjoy having to work for their yeah. for their whatever. But I do think a little night music is actually about as close as he comes to simple themes, clever lyrics, but not too clever, mm. and just some like banger hit standalone songs. Yeah. So I think this is probably the closest that it gets. Mm. Um let's talk productions. Sure. So, interestingly, while it was still playing on Broadway, it opened in Australia at Her Majesty's Theatre yeah. in 1973. Okay. Um, quick. It, yeah, quick, right, like while it was on Broadway. Yeah. Which is a couple of months after. Yeah. Crazy. Um, before it went to the West End. It then, after it, after it was on Broadway, it had a US tour in 1974 that ran for a year. It starred, actually, that US tour starred one of my personal favourite Desirees ever, Gene Simmons. So oh, yes. you will, we mentioned Jean Simmons last week, I think. She was in the Guys and Dolls film. She played Sarah yeah. Brown and she was also in Thornbirds. If you're an Aussie, you'll get that. <laughs> if you're an Aussie of a very certain age. Um, so then Jean Simmons reprised her role from the US tour in the original West End production and that was a banger. Like yeah. that production I think was heaps better than the original. Okay. I prefer it. Um, like, it lis- like listening, listening to, the, to it. Yeah. It was largely the same in terms of vision, like how Prince directed the yeah. West End as like well. Like it was a replica production. It, it was almost a replica. Like some things were I think there was some changes to bits of the score and like yeah. there were some changes made but it was pretty much yeah. a replica. Just a much better cast I think mm. that offered like just a bit of a deeper interpretation. And like you mentioned with um, – uh, with what you were talking about in the colour purple, it's so much easier in subsequent productions yes. to pinpoint problems. To see what you did wrong, Yeah, basically. that's right. So, like, no shade on the original and Broadway. And also, like, I have to say, like, in the UK, what I find is, um, although sometimes the American accents aren't amazing, the the acting, in, like, just they have that school of, like, yeah. proper rep acting yeah. and stuff like that, yeah. um, which is just not quite the same in America. No. So I can imagine that if you do want deeper performances, that yes. is, yeah. And what's good about Little Night Music is it doesn't require any American accents. Yes, true. Usually, usually they're performed as British. British, Even yeah. though it's in Sweden. In, uh, yes, exactly. Funny, funny, funny white people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... The, yeah, the um, original West End, Jean Simmons is so beautiful. Yeah. Like she has this beautiful vulnerability. She also has like this tired sort of worn out feel to her, which is just lovely for Desiree. I actually realised as I was listening to this that Sondheim writes really good sort of like fed up women. Yes. Of doesn't he though. Well, and like have we talked about before about his like um, nervous breakdown Oh, yeah, we talked about songs. that in Follies. Yeah, yeah. It, the whole thing is a nervous yeah, breakdown. But it's that, kind of like in the similar vein. Yeah, just like women who have had it up to here yep. and they're just having it, they're going to yep. melt down. Yeah. And usually women of a just a bit older. A certain age, yeah. yeah. like ladies who lunch and yep. move, Could losing I leave my you? mind. Could I leave yeah. you? Like just, yeah. Oh, he's so good. He gets it. <laughs> um, So a little night music then since then has had a 1989 West End revival and a 1995 London revival at the Olivier Theatre. That particular production, the 1995, starred Judi Dench. Yes. And she was fucking perfect. Yeah. I don't care what you think. Ruth, I'm looking at you. I love her. Or you, the audience. She was so good. She won an Olivier for her performance. 
You can watch her perform at Hey Mr. Producer. Yes. I will link to it. But that 1995 production actually ran for a year. It was super successful. Yeah. It was really impressive. Unfortunately, there is no cast recording of it. Boo. Boo. Boo indeed. So, but yeah, like she, so I've. I've linked to that video because I remember when we were young and we watched yes. that. We Obsessive. were just like, oh, my God. Because she acts the shit out of it. Yes. And, you know, it was a revelation for me because I didn't know the show at the time when Hey, Mr. Producer came out. But you know how the character Friedrich is, like, on stage with yeah. her? Like, he witnesses that whole thing yeah. and he's got to be like, okay, well, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and you watch Judy Dench just, like, fall apart. Crumble. Oh, my God. It's so good. I love Judy Dench. Who doesn't? Yeah. Go listen to her on David Tennant. I was about to say, speaking <laughs> of David Tennant does a podcast with, she was on recently. Uh, okay, so then there was a 2008 Menier Chocolate Factory revival directed by Trevor Nunn. Oh, yeah. Do you know I think I don't like Trevor Nunn? Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I think he's a bit vanilla. Okay. I've heard that. <clears throat> yeah. But, he's, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. Because it was also kind of the that was what it was like at the time, you yeah. know? Like well, that yeah. is what shows were like. But also, yeah, yeah, it, there's just so many now I've come across so many shows where his revivals have sort of like wrecked things. Oh, really? Yeah, like fuck off Trevor Nunn. Anyway. Are you thinking of that Oklahoma revival? No. Oh, okay, because I quite liked that. Yeah. that The Hugh Jackman one. What was it that he wrecked? <laughs> What was it that he wrote? I don't know. Was it Someone chess? tell us. Maybe it was chess. He Probably. did chess Actually on Broadway, was. It was chess. He? Yeah. It was chess. There you are, Gareth, my friend Gareth. That's a shout-out to you. Trevor Nunn wrecked chess on Broadway. Yes. I said it. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, okay, so the 2008 Manier Chocolate Factory, directed by Trevor Nunn, notably starred Alexander Hansen as Frederick, who I think is an exceptional Frederick. Yeah. Um, that production then opened on Broadway at the Walter Kerr Theatre in November 2009 and starred Angela Lansbury and Catherine Zeta-Jones. That's right. Along with Alexander Hansen, who come over from the 2008. As Frederick, did you say? As Frederick, yeah. that's right. This production received pretty mixed reviews from critics. Yeah. Yeah. Mainly they were sceptical of Nunn's vision, to be honest. Yeah. Um, Catherine Zeta-Jones is sort of hated by music theatre nerds, but there's actually this really vile thread on Broadway World about how shit she is. Really? But, like, she won a Drama Desk Award, she won an Out of, um, out of Critics Circle Award, and she won a Tony for yeah, her performance. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought like, she won the Tony, yeah. She was pretty well loved. Yeah. And it's it's an interesting one. I wanted to ask what you thought about it because I, like, I've obviously didn't see it. I listened to the recording and... She definitely, like, it's Catherine Zeta-Jones singing. She's not the most incredible singer. Yeah. She can sing, though. I get the feeling that she was probably a better singer when she was younger. I think so. And that she just hadn't sung a lot in her career. That's right. She's great. I mean, I think she's fantastic in the Chicago film. Well, like, the amount of hatred on this thread is pretty awful. Like, how bad could she really have been, like, her voice is definitely not the most amazing, but she is certainly like beautiful enough yeah. to play this role in a way that a lot of other people who've played yeah, it haven't true, been. Like she's true. just got that. She's yeah, she's a little older. She's, but she's a so movie beautiful. Star, she's a movie know? star. Yeah. She looks like what Desiree should look like. Yeah, um, and she's certainly a strong enough actress to pull it off. So you know, in that production, yeah, I just this is a specific fact for you. Ready? I think is it. Um, Herdlicker, his last name is the young boy who plays the cellist. Yeah. What's that character's name again? Henrik. Henrik. The the guy who played that was Elaine Stritch's um 
like a sister. Yeah, I know. Do you, do you have that in your fun facts? Yeah, but I like that you've brought it up. Yeah, because like, he's in the documentary quite a bit, the, yeah, jo- the shoot is, me documentary. The shoot me. Yeah. He is so good. Yeah. Um, I'm actually, oh, that's reminded me. I should put it on the gateway list, but it's not really a gateway. It's just like a show off. He does this note in like his first number in the yeah. show where he normally, normally the Henrik just like sings it in falsetto and he, and it's a really long sustained note and he just belts it right. and it's so hard. And they have to play cello. He the has to play cello and yeah. play well. Yeah. Oh my God. Good side note. Yeah. yeah. But I'm about to talk about Elaine Strip. Okay. Of course. I will work her into every episode. Of course. Hmm. So once once the con- once Catherine Zeta-Jones and Angela Lansbury's contracts were up for that run, they were both replaced by Elaine Stritch and Bernadette Peters respectively. That's right. And I would have loved to see this Yeah, cast. that's like your ultimate. Oh, my God. Like Elaine Stritch and Bernadette Peters on the same stage. Fuck off. Like what a fire <laughs> combo. I cannot even think of it. So the great news is... Sorry, everyone. There is a bootleg on YouTube of Ooh. this, of Bernadette Peters and Elaine Stritch. Oh, I'm not going to link to it, obviously, because it's illegal. Um, but if you Google <laughs> what you do with your own time yeah. and your own life and your own YouTube account is completely up to you. Yes. But weirdly, it's one of those ones where they haven't named it something weird. It's like no. the entire A Little Night Music yeah. Broadway. Like, <laughs> with Bernadette Peters and Elaine yes. Stretch. Yeah. Uh, which I find quite delightful. It's not one of those, you know, they're calling them slime videos oh, for yeah. a while. Did you That's hear about right. that? Slime videos. Yeah. No wonder my daughter wants to watch so many slime videos. Yes. <laughs> so I will just briefly mention that this show, A Little Night Music, is regularly done by opera companies. Yeah. That, it, yeah, it's yeah. how I saw I'm it. not going to go into like all the many, many productions that have been done by opera companies, but it, it does – it does make sense because the show, it does like verge on sort of border, yeah. borderline. It's definitely a musical that opera lovers would love. Yes. It's like My Fair Lady or Sweeney Todd or whatever. And it's like lush and yes. like the costumes, costumes are beautiful. Costumes and historical setting and all exactly. that sort of shit. Like it's got all the elements, but it is still definitely a musical. Uh, so, yeah, there was that interesting little thing. Now, we've got to talk about the film. There was a film. I've you're, never seen the film. You're looking at me like what? Uh, no, I knew it existed. I've never seen it. You've never seen anything. You're like a newborn baby. I've seen lots of the a live versions music, of movie shows. Musical <laughs> Just baby. not movies. Ugh. So the film adaptation was made and released in 1977 and let me tell you. Okay. It's interesting. Oh, okay. Mm. It's pretty universally despised. Yeah. And I think that's very fair. Okay. <laughs> it was directed by Hal Prince and the oh. consensus is that he should not have directed the film. Right. He's not a film director. Yeah. It, it definitely feels flat in terms of cinematography and vision. Like it just feels like someone has been like, um, so we're outside now and we're going to like just I'm going to point and shoot. Like yeah. just do what you would do on stage and I'll just hold the camera. Like, it, yeah. Uh. Just that it was not filmic at all. This is actually his second and final feature film. He previously directed a film called Something for Everyone. Oh. Which I don't know. One film critic, oh, my God, actually said, Hal Prince made the film as if he had never seen a film before. Oh, ow. <laughs> that is harsh. That's so harsh, man. So for some reason the setting was changed to Aus- Austria from Sweden. Oh. And Elizabeth Taylor was cast as Desiree. I think I knew Elizabeth Taylor was in the film, yeah. Yeah. A terrible choice. <laughs> Some of the major complaints with the movie are the score adaptation, although the person responsible for the score adaptation, whose name is Jonathan Tunick, won the Oscar for Best Score Adaptation 
earning him like the final piece of his egot. Oh, cool. Yes. Well, Jonathan Schoenick was it was one of um, Sondheim's biggest orchestrators. That's right. right. Yeah. But like a couple of a couple of songs were cut, particularly liaisons, which is a really awesome song yeah. for the like the older the grandmother character and like. Sondheim had rewritten Glamorous Life and, like, a couple of other – like, it was just weird. Some yeah. of the musical choices were weird. Um, yeah, the other thing that I found on a lot of um, mainly Broadway world uh, <laughs> message boards was that Elizabeth Taylor's weight fluctuates a lot during the film. Oh. So, like, shoot to – like, shot to shot, it looks strange. Yeah. And I – obviously I don't give a shit about that, but someone has cared enough to mention it and – in terms of continuity, that's a it's weird. It's a yeah. little bit weird. Yeah. But like whatever. Be whatever you want. Um, look, I actually think it's worth glancing at the film if for nothing more than a good like look at the 1970s hair and makeup that they've tried to pass off as turn of the century. <laughs> like it's so clearly like there's women with like those like Farrah Fawcett yes. flicks and like terribly icy blue eyeshadow. Like you're not in fucking 1900. Oh, what that the hell? is so funny. It's just so classic 1970s. Like, yeah. You can see bits and pieces of the film on YouTube and you can also listen to the film soundtrack, which I will link to. That's yes. on Spotify. Yeah. There are only two like recordings on Spotify. Right. Yeah. And that is one of them. Okay, so the music. It's such a good score. Yeah. Shokara Sondheim wrote a good score. <laughs> it's got all the usual Sondheim stuff. So it's got like com- complex meters, pitch changes, top of the range notes for literally everyone. Yeah. Like he doesn't care who you are. You it's, will sing at the top I of your think range. I think of it as his most soprano show. Would you agree? Yes, I would agree. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't, he doesn't tend to, do much legit stuff. The, the closest, like in terms of high sort of singing, would be Sweeney. Yes, but that's exactly. all like ensemble. But yes, yeah. definitely. Um, so yes, lots of he. What he does a lot of in this show, which he also does in Sweeney, is he like uses a lot of thematic like composing. So a lot of themes that are consistently like repeated in songs, but like in such a way that they're not the same, they're slightly varied. So it's actually a bit of a bitch to learn and and like for the musicians and for the actors, because there's just like just slight variation, but enough to make it hard. Yeah. Classic like Sondheim. our friend who sang um, The Miller's Son in the concert. Oh, yeah. And, the, and because the melody is like the same every time. The, the lyrics are different. and the lyrics. And yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He wants you to work. Yeah. Um, so now there's a line at the beginning of the show that basically the grandmother says, the summer night smiles three times. It smiles on the young, on the fools and on the old. And that theme, like Sondheim took that theme of threes yep. to the max. Like he just went nuts with it. So lots of trios happen in this yep. show. Like, And even like some of the duets that are in the show are generally about a third person. Ah. Like the subject of the duet will be yeah. someone else. Um the majority of the score is also in the time signature of 3-4, so that means there's three beats per bar, which is also the waltz, the waltz meter. Yeah. So it's got this really waltzy feel. Um, there are also times when he busts out um, into compound time. Compound time is um, basically like sets of three. So like usually he uses 12-8 or 9-8, so they're like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. So it's still got that three uh, yeah, feel. Yeah. Um, yeah, so everything's kept in threes. As we know, he loves counterpoint and he loves close harmony. And he I just, also love counterpoint. Of course you do. <laughs> well, so do I. And yeah. so he's just chucked that all through this show. It's super clever and Sondheim is a genius the end. <laughs> Um, let's talk about Send in the Clowns. Yeah. We all know Send in the Clowns. It's the show's biggest number and it is Sondheim's biggest hit. Yes. Like without any doubt. Yeah. Everyone knows this song. It almost wasn't written. 
Sondheim put it together a couple of days before the beginning of Out of Town Tryouts. Yeah. As with so many other so many other shows we've mentioned, this song was not in the show. Yeah. And it was only that um, basically Desiree was originally supposed to be not a singing role. So she was just supposed to be sort of like more of an actress, just right. a character. And the original um, Desiree Glennis Johns was not a very good singer. So she had like she had a nice tone to her voice but she couldn't sustain notes. Yeah. So she just couldn't like sing long phrases at all. And when you listen to The Glamorous Life you can sort of hear that. Yeah. But that's why Sondheim decided that she needed a moment. So when basically what happens in the story is that Desiree sort of decides that maybe she and Frederick should have a go mm. of it. Like they both love each other. They should just have a go. And she's rejected. Like he just yeah. says, actually, no, I want to stay with my 18-year-old virgin wife. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking man. man. <laughs> <laughs> and she sings Send in the Clowns to his face. Oh. Oh, so sometimes like she definitely needs this. And he moment. rejects her halfway through the song, doesn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. And then like, so the last half is like. I mean, don't worry, guys. They get back together later because he realizes he's a dum dum, fucking idiot. Just who, who does she have sex with in the end? Then him. Oh, no, the, as in the virgin. Oh, oh, with his son. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the cellist. <laughs> That's oh. right. With someone age appropriate. Yes. Good. Good on you, Anne. Um, also, but don't like, don't hold on to virginity. It's a man-made uh, virginity is a social contract. Everyone fucked off. Like, it's not a gift to give anyone. You exactly. Just do what you want with your body. Exactly. Go nuts. Um, <laughs> go nuts. <laughs> I'm gonna get an angry letter. Like, why are you telling my daughter to go nuts with her virginity? Yeah. Because it doesn't exist. Exactly. Anyway, then he wrote. Sending the Clowns just before the show opened. Amazing, amazing. He basically, he spoke a lot about how he wanted to write it for Glennis John's vocal weaknesses. I think I've heard him say that. Because, yes, that's just right imagine. about how he couldn't hold, she couldn't she hold She can't notes. hold a note. So just imagine, like, imagine you're, you're a star of a Sondheim show and you're loving life and then he's like, I wrote this song because you're so shit. I wrote this song for your vocal weaknesses. <laughs> Fuck. Burn. Yeah, it's such a burn. But what. What he did was really clever. So the ends of like every sentence and phrase, uh, they end with consonants. So all the words are like consonant ends. So yeah. you cannot sustain. Yeah. So it's like it's just perfectly written. It's another example of how sometimes can really write for a person. A person, yeah. Like he's really good at that. And that's what he did with like parts of Gypsy. and Yeah. Anyway. So it's the song is so raw, so vulnerable, so Sondheim, amazing, amazing. I've only got a couple of fun facts, but basically what the song Send in the Clown is referring to is that during a show, if things aren't going well or if someone has forgotten a line or something bad has happened, you would literally say like send in the clowns yeah. to lighten the mood or make a joke or cover a mistake. Yeah. And so the whole song is just a metaphor for like, here we are. We're, we're at like, that point. We're yeah. at the point where I just need, I've just laid my heart on the line and you've fucking rejected me. So let's just send in the clowns because yeah, yeah. I'm raw and I'm vulnerable. It's a really beautiful metaphor. Um, yeah. Which I love that actually. Yeah. My other fun fact is that the film has a 20% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, which ouch. is very low. You could have um, you could have linked to another Simpsons clip this week with Send in the Clowns, right? Doesn't, oh, I should have. Doesn't the sideshow Bob sing it? Oh, it was crusty, isn't it? Oh, my God. Thank you. Yeah. There's an episode. It's like a crusty special where yeah. he's having like a really bad time or yeah. something. And he's, he's isn't like, he like smoking he's like on a drunk chair? And he's like hunched over yeah. singing Send in the Clowns. And, yes, then Sideshow Bob comes in. Yes. All right. I'm going to link to that, everyone. Okay. <laughs> Let's make everything about The Simpsons. Yeah. Okay, gateway songs. 
Send in the Clowns is 100% your number one gateway song. Yeah. I've put the Judy Dench version in the playlist. Ex- oh, because Hey Mr. Producer's like the hey album's Mr. Producer on there. Hey Mr. Producer is yeah. on Spotify. So, yes, you cannot hear that whole production, the 1995 West End revival, but you can hear her sing it at Hey Mr. Producer. Excellent. And you can watch it too. She wears a pretty dress. You should watch it. She acts the shit oh out of God, it. She's oh, she's so good. What I love is that that Hey Mr. Producer is just a concert and now she comes and I she's know. like, I'm going to be incredibly raw now. Just like Ellen Green earlier in the show. Oh, my God. <laughs> and just like when Bernadette does Being Alive. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, everyone. Lots of emotions there. What was I Michael can't Balls tell you doing? how much Josephine and I wore that VHS out <laughs> as children. One, two, three. <laughs> That's how I feel about the future. It's Josephine referencing an incredibly obscure musical called The Fix. Everyone. The Fix. That's right. Didn't you have that as like your phone? I did. Ringtone? As my ringtone for a long time. We made, not that long ago, we made our friends watch Hey Mr. Producer. Yeah, like, via <laughs> we did. Zoom. Like at the beginning of quarantine. Yes, we, we were like, like we're we going to do a group this. watch of Hey Mr. Producer. And it was just Josephine and I living the entire time and like 15 friends all, of these all on friends Zoom. Like, what is this? All on Zoom being like, I, what is happening? Yeah. And it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm Martin Girl. Oh my God, I love that so much. That should be my recommendation. Yeah. Anyway, my other gateway song is The Overture. Oh, it is so pretty. I love you loving overtures now. Or like now. Well, this used to make fun of me putting them in. I do make fun of you. This one is really good. When I talk about nine, I will also put the nine overture in. That will be in seven years. Um, I've put the Broadway revival version because it's really clean and lovely. Yeah. And also the Miller's Son. Yeah. It's a banger. It's such a good song. It's, um, I actually can't believe I went through, we haven't used it in a mixtape yet. No, I know. I think I I've thought about it. it before. Yeah, I think I have too. Yeah. But obviously we're saving it. It's not because it's not good. It's amazing. I've put the Broadway revival in there. Yeah. And that is a little night music. I also love the Glamorous Life. Like I also. I love the Glamorous Life. I love life. Audra's version of Audra it. Audra McDonald doing yeah. the Glamorous Life. I didn't put that in because. There's just a bit of context that I think you need mm. for that. So yeah. I feel like Sending the Clowns is beautiful because everyone will understand feeling like a piece of shit. Yeah. The Miller's Son is just a, it's a standalone story, it is. really. Well, like, like that character isn't in the show much. No, right? like you don't need to know anything about that. And yeah. the overture is a really good opening to the idea of we're in a lovely, rich 1900s yeah. garden. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Excellent. I think you should get into it more. Yeah, it's funny. I So I saw the Opera Australia production. Yes, what I year do we think that was? We saw it together, right? Did we see it together? I think so. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, What year? I'd be guessing 2010. Like, was, oh, that late. Okay. I think it's earlier than that. Yeah. God, I don't know. That was with Sigrid Thornton, right? Yeah, and that's right. And Anthony Wallow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right. He was Frederick. I'd forgotten that he was in it. And I think Nancy Hayes might have been Madame yeah. Arnfeld. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good cast. Oh, who was, Um, I think it might have been Lucy Maunder who was yes. Petra. Yeah. And she was great. She was great. Yeah, that was a really good production, except that it was at the Opera House. Mm. As we've said. Which is, as staged, we've said. At least I think it was staged for that stage. But I, Yeah, I agree. I agree. But it all, it always just feels a bit off there. Do you, and you think you've seen it other than that? Yes. Like I've an amateur one? I've seen an amateur production okay. of it. Yeah, yes. I think that's the and only the time I've ever seen it. Mm. Yeah. So you need more. You need more. I would love to see like a really, yeah. I'd love to see like a, um, you know, like a, as I said, the revisals that they, yes. you know, do on Broadway where they just yes. sort of really like get to the root of things. This show though, it's a little bit like 
it's got to be lush. Like yeah. it's got to be, it's got to be beautifully costumed. Yeah, it needs to be at the Lincoln Centre. It cannot be sparse. Yeah, I think. Like I think it's got to be a bit opulent. Yeah, in its presentation. Yeah, I agree. I so agree. yeah, Lincoln Centre for sure. I'm sure if I saw an incredible production now as an adult, I would love it. You should watch that bootleg. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bernadette Peters is so good as Desiree. Yeah. yeah, I bet. Of course. Of course. And yeah, that kid. What is his name? It's like Hunter something. Maybe is it Hunter, Hunter Ryan Herdlicker. Hunter Ryan. Yes, that's it's right. Herdlicker is his last name. I remember. He's or very Hardlicker. good. Yeah. As Henry, I just I just remember like him being in the Elaine Stritch documentary and me being like, I know that name. Yeah. Like I've seen, and cause it's obviously quite a, a unique name. Yes, it is. And then so looking it up and being like, oh, he was on Broadway. Yeah. It was obviously just like his side gig. I love that. Yeah. But imagine you're like a 20 something year old and you're like, I need a job. And Elaine Stritch is like, come and be my personal assistant. Yeah. Well, I think it's qu- like, um, <laughs> Tom, no, uh, sorry. Uh, what's the director of Hamilton's name? Um, oh my God. I'm blanking. Tommy Kale. Tommy Kale. I went to call him Tom Kit. Tommy Kale was Audrey McDonald's assistant for years. That's cool. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know Before when, he was director Tommy Kale. I just imagine that they, like, all hang out together. I think, like, between being a nanny and being an assistant, like, I think those are both really common. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, like, so, like, like day jobs for people. Wow. Yeah. 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 That's cool. cool. Especially if you're not, like, obviously some people teach. Yeah. Like we'll coach or yeah. whatever. But if you're a director. Do you like, know what I reckon I would do in my other life? I would like teach children from the show. Like I would educate so them. So a, a woman called Amy who works for us in New York. Yes. So she um, has worked for us for years, but that is her main job is she's a tutor. Yeah. And I think so, that's what I would do too. Um, I remember she was working on, she's done lots and lots of shows, um, but the Miss Saigon revival. Oh, she'd have so um, many kids. She was, well, no, because the little ones are too young. Oh yeah, for they school would be. they're like three, like oh, they are yeah. young, young the little kids. Yeah, but then so the the girl who was the understudy Kim was only fifteen. I think you mentioned this in did I in another episode? episode? God, I can't remember, but yeah, it must have been the Hades Town episode because maybe we were talking about oh, about, about Eva, about Eva, yeah, no Blizzarda. So yeah, so she was she was tutoring her. Wow, yeah, imagine that because she's like still in school. How can you be Kim and be still in school? Well, uh, Eva was 17 or whatever. Some people are too talented. I know. It's ridiculous. They should stop. Yeah. Yeah, well, when I was listening to Town this week, I was like, fucking Eva. She's so good. Yeah. Even Reeve Carney, like, man. He's quite a bit older though, isn't he? He'd be in his like he'd be like in his late 20s or early 30s now, I reckon. I reckon there's a similar age gap between them as there is between me and Shane. Ooh. I reckon. Saucy. Saucy. <laughs> you ship them. <laughs> Isn't yeah. that the term? Ship, yeah, that's yeah. right. I mean, they're actually together, so it's appropriate. That's right, it's appropriate. Um, yeah, Little Night Music. It is a ripper. Yeah, I should get into it more. I, I'm not sure, but that could be the end of my son time for a little while. Yeah, I think I'll do a funny thing eventually. I think I'll do Assassins eventually. Yeah, that that feels right to me because I love Assassins. Yeah, but I think that could be it for a little bit. Yeah, sorry, Passion. Yeah, and sorry, Pacific Overtures. Not I my... just don't know you enough. Sorry, the frogs. Sorry, Roadshow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, I mean, we might get we might get back there. I'll but... do West Side soon. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. It will be weird not talking about Sondheim so much. I know. I know that will be weird. 
Yeah, maybe I'll just have to like fall in love with Pacific Overtures quickly. Yeah, you will. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, You can follow us on Instagram at My Favourite Musical. Can they? Can they follow us? No, like can you? Please. Please. Favourite has a U. Uh, You can email myfavouritemusical at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at myfavemusical. And um, please like and subscribe. Yes, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because yeah. I don't actually know why because all the other podcasts I listen to tell everyone to do that, so I assume I should be I telling think it you helps. to do that. I think it helps the algorithm or something. The algorithm. Yeah, I don't know. Something about networks. Yeah, something about the interwebs. The interwebs. <laughs> yes, yes, um, yes. And we'll see you on Thursday for a mixtape. Yeah, guys, we do a mixtape every Thursday. Oh. I love a mixtape. Like, you went a bit cockney then. We do a mixtape every Thursday. Well, I didn't go that cockney. Governor? Shit. <laughs> oh, Ruth. Have a good week. Hey, what's your favourite colour? Red? Yeah, okay. Just checking. Not purple? That's right. Okay. I don't know what that, that, that question was weird at the very end. I was just, I'm sorry, I was just asking. <laughs> just for no reason. I love it. Have a good week. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.